The following podcast is a Green Fresh Media production. Welcome to Is There Kale in My Teeth, the podcast. I'm your host, Rifki Rubinowitz, an interior design trained lifestyle and wellness expert, mom to three girls, and editor of Mishpacha's Family Room magazine. On each podcast episode, you will meet incredible women who have empowering, entertaining, and educational messages to share with me and with you. Stick around. It's wild and it's raw, just the way we like it. Welcome to Kale in My Teeth. My name is Rifki Rabinowitz. I am a lifestyle and wellness creator, editor of Family Room magazine, and host of Kale in My Teeth, which is an Instagram Live to podcast show. The episodes get filmed on Instagram Live, and then within the month, the audio gets extracted and put onto Spotify and Apple Podcasts, produced by Green Fresh Media. And I'm very excited to have you on for Hormone, Hormone Health Week 2. So what I've essentially done is I've mapped out four conversations back-to-back that really build on each other. And so week two is going to be kicking off with Ashley Norris. So please introduce yourself because I can go on and on discussing my love for what you do in your content. So maybe you should start first. (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on your podcast tonight. So my name is Ashley Norris. I am a registered holistic nutritionist. I practiced um, just north of Toronto in King City, and I've had a clinic here for five years. And I really have niched down over the past five years, concentrating mainly on gut and hormone health and helping people connect the dots into how they want to feel versus how their gut health or hormone health may be kind of holding them back. And I do something called functional medicine, um, where we dive a little bit deeper beyond just like the baseline of what should we eat to optimize our gut and hormone health and bring in a lot of diagnostic tools. So we spend most of our time in our practice running tests for clients and helping them get clear strategies on how to optimize their well-being. Amazing. Basically, the way that I'm kind of structuring specific to Hormone Health Month, these conversations is I want all of us, including myself, to kind of approach these conversations with a complete beginner's mindset. So I want to ask questions as if I've never heard about this. And I think that in that way, we kind of really are open to absorbing information differently. And to anybody who's listening now, I know the way that lives work is we're kind of tuning in and out, popping on, popping off. And because of that, because it's a lot of information to retain, I will be resetting the room and kind of summarizing and my own pedestrian untrained vernacular and just checking in with you and making sure that I'm retaining the information properly so that we can actually walk away from this episode actually feeling like we know something beyond the one hour. Last week we had on Miranda Popin who basically gave us the foundational concepts where we were able to define the three female reproductive hormones and essentially get a little bit more knowledge on how we're supposed to be feeling, eating, and training during during the four phases of our cycle. So for anybody who didn't listen to that, I really recommend you listen to that because we're going to be building on that today, and I want you to understand the full concept. So my first question for you is, we spoke a lot about the, I'd like to just like kind of review the purpose of each of the three female reproductive hormones. And then kind of, we talk a lot about hormone imbalances. Oh my gosh, my skin's going crazy. My hormones are imbalanced. What causes that? How does that manifest itself? What does that mean for us in our daily lives? Such a great question. First off, I mean, I love that there, we talked about the three main hormones, but there are so many more hormones that are showing up and impacting you and how you feel day to day, um, from your energy levels, to your hunger cues, to your cognitive function, all of these hormones are like chemical messengers. They're sending signals through our body. And I want you to think of any hormone imbalance like a breakdown in the messenger. We've all heard of the broken telephone. And so um, our hormones are also intricately connected to all other aspects of our health. And so these common like hormone imbalances that we feel maybe in our system, in our day-to-day life, or we hear people talk about, are a message, a message or a breakdown in the normal chemical messages that something is out of balance. And the question you asked is like, really, how do we get here, right? How do our hormones become imbalanced? And it doesn't happen overnight. 
Um, sometimes the symptom can appear overnight, but the process itself doesn't ever really happen overnight. Sometimes it does if we have like a major trauma or accident or something like that. But for the most part, these imbalances come from stress on our body or imbalances when it comes to our liver and our gut health. And uh, that is why I talk about hormone and gut health so intimately connected is because the health of our hormones is actually determined by one, how much we sleep, really, really important factor, you know, how well we move our body. And then besides that, our liver health and again, our gut health. So the main things that are dysregulating our hormones are actually those two things. And so when a lot of clients come and see me, they expect to have quick fixes or like, here's some extra progesterone because your progesterone's low. The work that I do is looking at the why, like, wait, let's stop for a minute. Let's be the inquisitive five-year-old that we're all familiar with and be like, but why, right? Why is your progesterone low? Or why do you have more than necessary amounts of estrogen in your body? And why is your body having a hard time clearing that? Let's do a little bit of investigation into how the function of your body's working so that we can optimize that so that we're not on, you know, medications and antibiotics, birth control pill, you know, taking Tylenol to get through our periods, those types of things that we can actually dive a little deeper into. The and I think like you started this conversation with this idea that we should approach everything with curiosity and this beginner mindset. I also encourage people to approach their health with curiosity. So when your doctor is giving you this information or you know, results on a test, like, I want you to be that five-year-old. And, but, but why? I, why is this happening, right? It's great to know what's happening. Now let's ask why so we can actually fix it. It's so funny because in last week's conversation, I was telling Miranda that pathologically, I had taken a test a few years ago where everything came back completely stabilized and balanced. But my gut, as in my inner sacrum, understood that this doesn't make sense. And that's really officially what led me to like really I, I lean first on a naturopathic way of healing myself and then I'm kind of like okay let's also synthesize that and go with western medicine because I, I really do believe that everything is from the inside out so before we discuss even assessing what a hormonal imbalance looks like and what could be causing that would you be able to give us like almost like a rapid fire review of the hormones and what their purposes are so that if we're kind of name dropping them, we sort of understand where we're at. Yeah, for sure. We have a lot of different hormones, but so to touch back, I think the three main ones that you might have talked about with Miranda are estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And you're gonna have various amounts of those three key hormones throughout your cycle. The main part of estrogen and its regard is related to growth and proliferation. So in our menstrual cycle, and we're looking at it in the context there, it's responsible for the growth of the uterine lining, preparing the uterus for implantation. Because as a female, your body is obsessed with procreating. Every single month, your body has this goal of creating new life. Whether you like that or not, that's really what your body's after. And so estrogen is a key hormone in procreation and proliferation of the uterine lining. And then after ovulation takes place, so we have luteinizing hormone and a follicle stimulating hormone, which also kind of help to ripen the follicles. And then the luteinizing hormone causes the release of the egg into the fallopian tubes that travel down into the uterus, where maybe or maybe not, they'll be met by sperm, which would allow then for implantation to begin. Once you ovulate, that is when progesterone comes into play. And I want you to think of progesterone as, I mean, it's kind of the volume of the hormone. So it's calming, it's anti-anxiety. It's also really important for maintaining implantation and implantation and, and balancing out the effects of estrogen. They kind of work like a seesaw or a teeter-totter. Estrogen's high in the first half and ideally progesterone's high in the second half of your cycle. And so your testosterone is going to change throughout that 28 day cycle, but not in the same way that men's testosterone cycles every 24 hours. We have what is typically like a 28 day cycle when it comes to our hormonal fluctuations, including testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen. Those hormones not only have an impact on you know, our uterus and what's happening there in terms of shedding and proliferation and growth and the, of the lining, but also impacts things like our cognitive function. For example, studies show that we have, as women have a stronger command of the English language, we you can use more and recall more complex words when our estrogen is at its peak, 
Okay. So that's like a couple days before you ovulate. So that's why you, it's a great time to, and this is where cycle sync comes in, like get on an Instagram live, do a presentation, show up, talk about complex things, you know, do a presentation in front of your whole team, brainstorm. So these hormones are playing major roles in our, all of our different systems throughout our entire life. And so they are pretty complex. And I think that's something to really think about. Like if you're trying to hack your hormones, good luck, because it is really hard, right? They're difficult. And so being able to break down these things into tiny little tangible takeaways, I think is huge, especially for cycle syncing, because it is a more simple concept that we can actually find the natural rhythms of when our energy and cognitive function changes. But for the most part, these hormones are really complex. They change things like your body temperature, the oxygenation levels, like very complex things inside of our body. So I love hormones for that because we can understand them and work with them, but also they are complex for sure. What are some ways that a hormonal imbalance manifests itself when you have a client that's coming to you and describing something that feels off or something wonky? Where are the alarm bells that say, okay, I'd like to test to make sure that A, B, or C, or D, E, or F are optimized? Yeah, for sure. I mean, hormonal balances show up in a lot of different ways. There is a whole laundry list of symptoms, and you're probably familiar with some of the major ones linked to a menstrual cycle. They definitely show up on our skin, for sure. So acne, psoriasis, eczema, these are all linked to hormone gut connection. I'm going to put the two together here. Mood changes, right? Key neurotransmitters are made in our gut, and our hormones and our neurotransmitters work together as part of that signaling pathway that we talked about. And so mood changes, irritability, brain fog, low libido, energy levels. What else have we got here? Emotionality, feeling super emotional or just like mood imbalances. Is that when you, is that when you have mood imbalances, would you say that the progesterone is not stabilized or? Sometimes it can be from low progesterone. Sometimes it can be from the combination or the surge, like estrogen changes quite rapidly for a lot of people. And so sometimes the massive drop in estrogen can be like, all of a sudden I was fine. And the next day I'm super moody and very feeling depressed. Are we depressed or are we just low on some of those key hormones that we were thriving on before? Migraines for sure. Irritability, anger, like quick to temper, just shortness, feeling like shorter with your kids than you normally would, those types of things. I would cluster all of those together with hormone imbalances. And then a key one I see all the time is like constant fatigue, waking up tired, not being able to access energy throughout the day, cravings for sugar or, you know, carbohydrate, um, which is just like quick glucose feed for our body. And yeah, like vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, things like that, it kind of cascades further and further. But those would be the top ones when it comes to hormonal balances, for sure. I feel like somebody like me is almost like, as, as much as I want to learn, I'm also somewhat without the training in the know. So even though I'm so humbled by your education, sometimes what I will do is self-diagnose. So if I have brain fog, which we talked about is one of my like most debilitating feelings and it's too often, you know, I could sometimes be like, I'll go through the list in my head or if I'm craving sugar, I'll go through the list in my head. But without an expert kind of guiding you, you could lead yourself in a direction that isn't really recommended. Do you recommend us kind of like learning from people like, you know, your feed is so educational. Or do you kind of just say, like, leave it to the experts and be quiet? Both. I think both. Like, my goal is for, for people to be so empowered and so curious about their health that they are asking the questions why. And they are taking these little tidbits of information and collecting those as ways to optimize your health right? Look, if you're not sleeping, like here's the impact that it's going to have on your body, those types of things. And I think that that's sort of us building our collective foundation. And I just look at it as like, this is everything I wish my mom, my teachers, my friends, my girlfriends, my sisters taught me growing up about my body. And it's just my way of paying it forward. That's really how I look at education, like on Instagram. The, what I do in clinic is like, I'd say one layer deeper. I take that education and now I make it customized for you. And I usually say like most people come and see me after seeing two to three naturopaths or, you know, I'm not the first stop on the road and that's okay. But I definitely am the stop where people have been working at their hormones for at least six months at their gut health for at least six months. They've been doing the DIY approach, you know, 
kind of like tapas, right? I'll try a little bit of this. I'll try a little bit of this. And if they're not really seeing the results and moving forward, I'd say that's when people come and work with me and either do one of my group programs or one-on-one -on -one support because so, you can only take yourself so far. And sometimes yeah. people find what they need. Like I get messages, honestly, every day being like, this changed my life. I got a birth control pill. I did your mini course. Like I changed, I bring up, brought in these supplements. I'm feeling so great. And then other people that are like, I've been working at it for a while. What now, Ash? Right? Yeah. And I think that also the challenge I know for so many people listening, just even when I launched Hormone Health Month, the feedback that I got was, I'm so inspired by this. I so badly want to learn from it. But my life is so hectic. I have no brain space, even for the fundamentals um, of everybody who I'm responsible for. And so even though I believe in all of this and I really want to integrate all of this, it requires so much change in my diet, my lifestyle, and everything that I normally do that I can't take it on. Is there a way for people like that who maybe are interested but don't have the brain space to kind of heal or it has to kind of be the entire package? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And a big part of my work is meeting people where they're at. And I don't take that lightly. You know, I work with CEO moms of three who are running a busy household, who are working way more hours than I work in a day to, you know, people who are staying at home and are wishing they could start a family, right? And so totally different time spectrums. And I think working with a practitioner who understands your needs and making sure that the information and the plan and the strategy that's been given to you is realistic. So you're not walking away with this, like, it's like walking away with this massive textbook and being like, I'm never going to read this. Thanks right. for the textbook. Right. Like that's not my style. And I think that that's really important to be able to have that open dialogue with people, any practitioner you're seeing, like this doesn't match my lifestyle. This isn't realistic for me. I can't show up like this. There's no way I can possibly do this. And so building those small foundational things are really important. The other thing that is really important is like when you're doing it on your own, you're doing all the things, you know, you're like, I'm taking all these supplements and then I'm doing this and working out here. And I've made this big list of myself for January. The way that I work with clients, because we use functional testing, we can see like key nutrient deficiencies, key imbalances. We don't have to waste our time doing all the things. There may be only three things we need to focus on. And then we strategically spread those out and I'll maybe see clients every four weeks and every four weeks we have that check-in for four weeks straight. You're working on one thing, you know, okay. it's a little bit different than our like DIY blitz on a That's, that's exactly what I'm getting at. That's exactly, that, that's a great answer. And now I kind of want to move on to chapter two of week two, which is essentially how to optimize and fix this. Yeah. So, I mean, the quick, the four quickest things like the main areas in terms of optimizing your hormone health, your gut health are going to sound really simple. And I know you all already know them, but I'll tell you like 80% of people are not doing all four of these things consistently. So number one is getting to bed by a decent time. And then by decent time, I mean like 10, 30, 11 o'clock and getting seven to eight hours sleep a night consistently. That is really important. If you're waking up tired, you probably need to go to bed earlier and you need more sleep. Can you tell uh, us why sleep is so important from like a, a medical standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So during sleep, our body cleanses and detoxifies. And so when we're thinking about hormone and gut health, we're thinking about our liver and our gut. And you need that time to restore and regenerate. So a lot, of, even though you're sleeping, it's a very active time inside of your body. And a lot of key processes in terms of detoxification are actually happening during that time. So giving your body that time out from stimulus, from blue light, from food, from that go, go, go lifestyle that most of us have is really, really key. And in, in terms of even like neurotoxins. So when we sleep, we have this thing in our brain called our glymphatic system or glial system. And that is like a detoxification of our brain. So the brain, the volume of liquid in our brain increases while we sleep and it flushes out neurotoxins. And so that's why when you wake up and you have short, shortened sleep, or, you know, we had to wake up a few times in the night with the kids, you feel foggy. It's like, you can feel that you didn't get that refresh on your mind, on your brain, because all these powerful symptoms or systems are working to help you detoxify and regenerate and repair while you sleep. So skipping sleep, we're going to means that we're not detoxifying. We're not regenerating. We're not repairing. Okay, that's a really good answer. Really helpful. Okay, so getting a solid seven to eight hours a night is the first thing to work on when you want to optimize your hormones. What would number two be? 
Number two is nourishing our body in terms of looking at specifically gut and liver. We're looking to aim to eat four to six cups of fruits and veggies in any form. So smoothies, soups, stews, curries, whatever your jam is a day. And here we're looking at diversity. A lot of us can default to eating like the same, same, same. Um, so thinking about gut diversity over a week, a good key point, this is a big target for a lot of people, is to have 40 different fruits and vegetables a week. That would mean, and you can t track yourself, like maybe over the next week, see how many different fruits and veggies you either add to your grocery cart or have in your fridge. Eating the rainbow, eating bright rainbow colorful food and diversity is really key. And that's just a fancy way of me saying, you're gonna get the key you know, um, vitamins, the key minerals, all on uh, the amount of fiber that your gut really needs to be able to bind up and detoxify what needs to leave, but also to feed up the good microbes in your gut as well. So easy four to six cups a day of fruits and veggies combined. It's so funny because as a recipe developer and as somebody whose background is in interior design, I love beautiful food. So it's almost like if anybody who's listening to this, like this sounds amazing, but it's intimidating because it adds something else to your brain. Almost like if you pull away like the medicine element of it it's like well what can i eat that's prettier than it could be like in the yes. summertime i'll try to buy the orange and the yellow tomatoes because i want to have a varied plate because it looks prettier so mm -hmm. like when you're doing your grocery shop buy romanesco instead of cauliflower if you see it just like all those yeah. kinds of things and so yes you feel good because you know you're doing something good for your body but also it's pretty <laughs> Yeah. Kids are great for this too. Like if you take your kids grocery shopping, like let's try a new fruit or vegetable we haven't had in a long time, right? Adding one new fruit or vegetable to your cart every week, you're already improving your gut health. And so, you know, we can get stuck in our food ruts. I've been there too. But just really thinking about eating the rainbow and adding more diversity is going to make a big impact on a molecular level, right? And like, it seems it's so simple, but like from the nutrition and the science aspect of it, that's really how our liver thrives off of all of those antioxidants. The next point would be movement. For most of us, this is a challenge, especially here in North America. We have a really sedentary lifestyle and moving your body daily and sweating a few times a week is generally my, is kind of like how I would say is the best rule for a movement. Obviously movement is gonna vary so much body to body, energy levels. You know, if you have adrenal fatigue, I don't want you doing HIIT classes, but if you don't, then maybe getting good sweat on two to three times a week is more appropriate for you. So really just moving our body in general for most people more than they are. And then hydration. So two to three liters a day of either reverse osmosis water or spring water, not tap water, sorry, is really going to make a massive impact when it comes to your liver health and your gut health. Just going back to point three. Yeah. It's funny because I, I mentioned this last week also, so apologies if anybody already heard this, but Let's say one of the questions that I had was for somebody like me who naturally is super high energy, right? So for somebody like me, a really, really intense workout with loud music and grunting and sweating and heavy lifting and cardio, that is my homeostasis. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for somebody like me to kind of tune in and figure out like, do I have a, a adrenal fatigue? Like, am, am I reaching burnout? So if you're like me, sometimes like the way that I can assess that is if I start feeling irritable towards the workout. And so it's not just like irritable in the sense of like, shoot, I don't really want to do this renegade row, but I got this. It's more like, why am I even here? Why am I even doing this? Why am I pushing myself so hard? What, like, what's wrong with me? And so when you have that voice in your head, that's not like self-doubt that can elevate you, but kind of self-doubt and it's annoyed. That's sort of my hallmark to kind of see when I'm faced with adrenal fatigue. Obviously everybody's different, but I think that as we're all listening, we kind of try to plug and play this into our own personal experience. So that's my personal experience. Yeah. I love that's it. Something. You know what the, I call that voice? Your What's intuition. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. Like, that's that's her she's talking to you she's trying to be like slow down a little bit we don't want to go so hard today and i think for a lot of us however we identify with that voice is a lot of times we tend to ignore it because we have a schedule we have a workout routine you know we have we have to show up for the kids we've got to do this and that's that hustle culture or mentality that sometimes we can't show up sometimes you're allowed to go for a walk instead of do the workout sometimes yeah. you're we're cyclical beings, right? We need to have a time where we ebb and a time where we flow. 
And that's a big part of menstrual cycle awareness is also letting your energy have that ebb and flow, having times where you don't need to go so hard. And if you are in the season of burnout or, you know, inner winter, I call it, um, let yourself be there without the judgment, right? Like your body is talking to us. We run into the problems and the imbalances and the things that I see in my clinic where we press ignore on that message for way too long. It's so funny because I recently went, I've been working out from home for the past three years, right? And I've really learned to love it. As gyms opened up for like a millisecond, I went with my friend who's like my workout partner for life and we both really like to go hard together and went back together to a gym that was a similar layout to the kind of gym that I really feel connected to. And I was really bad. I mean, my friends, they roll their eyes, but for me, I was really bad. I was not happy with my performance. And the trainer, you know, was coming over to me being like, oh, like you're in the class, like, uh, uh, rock on. And I was telling my friend after, it's so crazy because whereas before I would have been motivated by like, you know, the trainer recognizing my potential. Now I was like, bro, I know what I came here to do. Mm-hmm. I know my potential. I don't need this pressure from you. God knows there's enough external pressure in the rest of my life. This needs to be a sanctuary. So bug off, even though, by the way, like, the trainer was doing a really good job of pumping me up, but it was interesting to see the shift in my needs. Mm-hmm. Then after class, you know, all the soccer moms were gathering around discussing their lifts and their PRs and their sprints. And I said to my friend after, it's so interesting observing that because that really used to be me and there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to really excel at something, you have to be a little bit obsessed. And it was very clear for me to see them, you know, analyzing and, and you know, regrets and competition which is not a bad thing towards their sprints and me realizing this is not an area of my life that I can be obsessed with right now. Acknowledge it, feel no guilt, feel no shame and recognize you have deprioritized that to to prioritize something else. And it was very freeing. Mm, Yeah. Instead of beating yourself up and being like, Oh, you know, I should have, would have, could have, you were able to recognize that it's just, yeah, you did well, but it's just not your number one priority. It's and just, and, and in order to do that, I have to be taking up more brain space than I can afford right now. No problem, sweetie. Maybe I'll revisit you. But right now I'm getting in my movement to feel okay and not to be the best in the room. And it, it was very freeing in any case. <laughs> so you mentioned that our gut and liver health are completely interconnected to how our hormones show up in our body. Can you define gut and liver health and how that manifests itself in the body and how they're connected to our hormones? Yes. I want to just give you this analogy, which really helped me understand a lot when it comes to holistic health or health in general. So traditional medical system really separates our body into like what I call silos. So like we have our cardiologist who looks after our heart and our endocrinologist who looks after our thyroid and really tends to separate us. And it's great in that we have specialists and people who are like amazing at what they do and they can look after one particular area of our body. In holistic health, we look at your health like a spider web, okay? So each strand maybe is your your heart health and your hormone health and your immune health and your gut health, but all of those strands are intimately interconnected. And if I start tugging on one strand, the whole system moves and feels it, right? And I think it's really important to start to look at your health in that same way. So what happens with your hormones doesn't not impact your skin. And what happens with your brain doesn't not impact your, you know, immune health. All of these things are intricately interconnected. And so when I talk with clients, I take this massive medical history to really understand how they got where they got and how all of those systems that rely on each other that are intricately connected are being affected and where we can start to kind of rebuild the integrity of that web. So when we're thinking about your gut and your hormone, your gut, sorry, and your liver health, those are two strands of that web and they're critical parts when it comes to our hormones. Your liver, let's start there, is really important because I'd argue it's one of the most important organs in our body when it comes to our overall health period because your liver is like a sieve. Let's imagine like a colander or a strainer, okay? It is purifying your blood of chemicals, toxins, medications, hormones, neurotransmitters, anything that's made and produced as a chemical messenger that is goes around your body, does its job, goes back into your bloodstream, and your liver is like the catch-all of it. Your liver has a few jobs, but one of its major jobs is to take those hormones and, and pesticides and chemicals and everything that we're exposed to on a daily basis 
and turn them into things that are not as harmful, okay? So it goes through two phases of liver detoxification and something called methylation. And basically we get end products. We either pee them out or we poop them out. Your liver is doing this constantly. It's literally doing this while we're talking. Like every, I forget the exact amount of time, but like, let's say every two hours, your liver purifies the entire volume of your blood. It's not like, did it once a day? No, all day, every day, constantly, okay? So when it does, what it does is when it catches all of those things, it has to process them and send them out. And it uses key vitamins and key amino acids to do that job. So now I want you to think, okay, so if I, I drink a lot of, if I drink some extra alcohol and then I take Tylenol a couple of times a week for my random headaches and I put a lot of chemicals on my skin and you start to kind of imagine all the extra work that your liver has to do to constantly gather and clear out all of these things inside of our body that we're either putting on our body or in our body, or we're just getting exposed, exposed to by the environment, right? Somebody asked, what about filtered water? That's a perfect example. Your body has to filter out those chemicals, the fluoride, the extra hormones that are in our water systems, all the people that flush medications down the toilet, the people that urinate out medications, those types of things. So your liver has to work really hard to do that. If, for example, the vitamins and minerals that your liver uses, like gasoline in our car, become low or depleted, or your liver's working really hard and, it, and you are not eating enough of those things, or maybe you're over-exercising and your body's using them up in other areas, your muscles using them instead. Those types of things, your liver can become depleted and all of a sudden it doesn't have those key nutrients to do the work. So now you have excess hormones that we can't clear out fast enough. And now for you as a symptom, maybe it's showing up as heavy periods, breast tenderness and irritability. That's the message you got from your body. The message I get from your body is, oh, we need to love your liver a little more. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about what loving your liver looks like. So like I was saying for your liver, it has two phases of detoxification, okay? And on some functional testing that I use, which is called the Dutch hormone test, I actually can assess how well phase one is going and how well phase two is going. And let's say your phase one is lousy, but your phase two is good. We can put in the key nutrients to speed up phase one and help your liver. So get really strategic and nitty gritty. But for the most part, what you should know at home is B vitamins are really important for your liver health. So for most people, they're not eating enough uh, fruits and veggies. So they're kind of depleted in a lot of those B vitamins. And so taking a B complex can be very helpful for liver health. Also, we need other vitamins like vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D. We need vitamin E for our liver as well. Again, you're going to get all of these from eating the four to six cups of fruits and vegetables a day, eating some fish, eating some meat, ideally. The biggest issue I see with phase two is it runs mainly on amino acids. So if you are lacking protein in any form, animal or plant protein, your liver is going to start to run low. It's like a car that doesn't have the good oil, right? Who is running optimally? Meaning... If, if we educate ourselves to this degree, right, and I'm assuming that many of the people who are tuning in are not working with a naturopath, are we all just walking through life just completely, like, not in optimal health? Meaning, like, objectively, we project, you know, that we're at the peak of health, thank God, but is, are we all kind of just, like, floating through space, not fully taking advantage of the loving our liver to the degree and optimal gut health and our hormones being all wacky. And if that's the case, is that pretty discouraging? Yes and no. I mean, I guess we're kind of looking at it. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? For most of the people I see, they are not op optimizing. You know, they're not at this optimal state because they've come to see me, right? They're ill. They, they have these symptoms that are talking to them. But for the most part, I mean, if people are eating well, if people are moving their body, if people are sleeping and they don't have any major traumas or major burdens that are happening in their life, like they're able to maintain a certain level of homeostasis. Okay. They're going to have reasons, reasons where they're going to like, or times where they're going to feel a little lull, but most people are able to kind of recognize it, get a grip and rebound. 
The problem comes is when we don't have the opportunity or the privilege to recognize it, get a grip, slow down and rebound, or maybe the resources to do that. The phase two, when we're looking at those nutrients, you hear people talk a lot about cruciferous vegetables like the cabbage and Brussels sprouts and broccolis of the world. And those are really helpful for phase two uh, liver detoxification as well. And then we use a ton of amino acids. So glutamine, glycine, cysteine, taurine, which you can just think is going to come from protein. Okay, so we've got protein, we've got cruciferous vegetables, and we've got garlic. Garlic is really helpful. Sulfur is really helpful. And eggs as well. Part of the reason why I love those two, I think they are the superfoods, not necessarily like spirulina and all those other trendy things. And yeah, that's basically what we need to run our liver. And we need to be hydrated. We need water. We need purified water in terms of liver detoxification. So it's not really complicated. It just comes down to fundamentally eating enough bright rainbow colorful food and protein. Okay. Then when we start to look at our gut, I want you to think of the gut as the job to scoop out everything from the sieve or the colander and eliminate it. Okay. So now we've purified it. We've made it less toxic. Now we got to get it out of our body. And here's where a lot of people hit some hurdles. Most people I talk to are not having a daily bowel movement. The two best indicators of your overall health is your bowel movements and your periods. Okay. So as a, as a woman and as a man, definitely your bowel movements. And we, I shouldn't say we, cause I don't have kids. So I was going to be like, we as parents, but we as parents become very obsessed with our, like children's, our children's poop when they're young, right? We pay a lot of attention to their bowel movements. Oh no, did they poop today? They didn't poop today. They're constipated. Oh, get out the, you know, all the things. Right. And so over our life's time, we kind of start, stop paying as much attention to our own. And I think that that's a big mistake that a lot of us make is not paying enough attention to having a daily bowel movement. If you're not pooping, you're not eliminating, meaning that you are storing and keeping toxins inside of your body that your body doesn't want. Okay. So we definitely want to work on having that daily bowel movement. The four to six cups of fruits and vegetables a day are going to do that. They're certainly going to help. Now, there are some underlying issues that are conditions that if you ate four to six fruits, cups of fruits and vegetables a day, you would feel worse, like IBS, small intestinal bacteria, overgrowth, Crohn's or colitis. So if you have underlying diagnosed conditions, you'll probably need more of a therapeutic gut health strategy than just a general four to six cups of fruits and vegetables a day. I should what say about... that that's for general health. Okay, got it. Understood. But that's really helpful. But what about those who feel like cruciferous veggies bloat them and make them feel uncomfortable? Yeah. For some people, that is a thing. Typically, that comes down to a, a bacterial imbalance. So some overgrowth of some opportunistic or bad bacteria. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the imbalances that might happen in our gut and why we might struggle maybe even eating cruciferous veg, which if you struggle with it, you, you should probably cook it more, steam it more, or go with some simpler forms to digest like broccoli sprouts are really great. And they're way easier to digest than broccoli or Brussels sprouts or I'm not, not broccoli sprouts. Yeah. Like the microgreens, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Right. Throw on your salad or sandwich. They are uh, just like eating lettuce. So inside of our gut, we have this delicate balance. And most people are referring to this as our microbiome. It's this massive cluster of microorganisms, bacteria, yeast, um, and you have a collection of good bacteria. And these good bacteria are really important. They help you to keep your immune system strong. They help you to absorb key vitamins and minerals out of your food, right? When you eat, it doesn't just magically get delivered to every cell. The bacteria are there to help facilitate that process. They also make some really important vitamins like vitamin K, and biotin. So if your hair and nails are not growing, your gut may be responsible because you're not making key amounts of biotin. And, and those bacteria also help us to protect us against bad things like pathogens and other things that might come into our food or into our water systems. So everybody has good bacteria. Some people have overgrowth of bad bacteria. Let me give you an example. That one time two years ago when you took some antibiotics for a UTI, it wiped out a lot of your beneficial bacteria. But maybe you weren't intentional about replenishing the good bacteria. Maybe you didn't know that you needed to take probiotics or weren't eating some fermented food. And instead, and you were really stressed during that time too. So instead, the bad bacteria or the opportunistic bacteria that maybe don't belong started to overgrow. 
And all of a sudden, instead of having good ratios, it went this way. And you're like, oh my God, I haven't really felt better, like, well, in the past year since I took those antibiotics. And now I get sick often. I stay sick longer. My brain's a little foggy. I often get bloated when I eat cruciferous vegetables and other foods now. And uh, sometimes I get yeast infections now. So it, that, it threw off that balance of your delicate microbiome. Things that throw that off are things that we are commonly exposed to and commonly using in our day-to-day lifestyle. Birth control pill is a massive one. I wouldn't say antidepressants, but antidepressants definitely slow down the migrating motor complex, the movement of things through our gut. So it can make us more constipated. But in terms of like the modern things that are messing with our gut, chemicals, like I said earlier, right? They are in everything. When I, my sister was having a baby, I was very worried about flame retardants. And so I did some research on like, are there any car seats in Canada that are available that aren't sprayed with flame retardants? And there was two brands out of all the different types. So the massive amounts of chemicals that we're exposed to in our mattresses, furniture, carpets, off-gassing all the time, clothing, we know that. You've, you've probably bought something before and you can smell it and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's strong. <laughs> okay, that's going to sit in the garage for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> fragrances and pesticides on our food are huge ones. There were some studies done said that the average female, by the time they leave their house, puts 264 chemicals, and I might be wrong, it might be like 261, on their body. And I was like, no way, that's impossible. But then I started to add it up, like my shampoo, my conditioner, my moisturizer, my heat spray, my this, my that. And like, it's very easy to do. So let's talk about the effect of those chemicals. Yeah, so they're what, some of them uh, are fragrances and you're here, first your liver has to clear out everything, everything, right? Many of those things are absorbed and go right into our bloodstream. Some of them don't depending on the molecular size. So that's arguable. Let's just say even if you apply 260 of them, 50% of them are small enough in molecular size to transfer into your skin to go into your bloodstream. Still, you have 130 chemicals that your liver now wouldn't normally have if you were living, you know, the simple life, which is why I'm a big advocate for the simple life. That's an extra burden on your body. Let's combine that with the glass of wine from last night and, and the pesticides in our food that we have zero control over. All of these chemicals are kind of increasing that burden and making our body work harder than it really needs to. And maybe our body can't prioritize getting rid of all the hormones that it needs to when it's like, oh, we're gonna get rid of the chemicals instead. So those chemicals also are what we call endocrine disruptors. And so many of them are mimickers. And so I want you to imagine like twins, they have the same molecular size and shape of things like estrogen. So for example, phytoestrogens and many fragrances do that. And so what will happen is they'll come along and they'll land in the receptor spot and they'll bind. And when your estrogen comes along, it's like, hey, someone took my parking spot. Now I have nowhere to go and it continues to recirculate. Well, estrogen is a hormone of growth and proliferation. So if we are constantly exposed to those chemicals, all of a sudden now we have unusual weight gain. We're like, I don't understand. Why do I have weight gain? I didn't do anything different. I'm not taking any more estrogen. No, but you're exposed to these chemicals that are mimicking the spot where estrogen should go and now it has nowhere to go and it's constantly recirculating. And you know that puts on, we used to feed estrogen to cows to fatten them up. Um, I want to take like a minute to answer two questions, as well as a question that I had, which was talking about your opinion on um, colonics. Mm. Yeah, what do you what what are your opinion on that? I think my opinion on colonics is that they should be prescribed. Mm. They should be prescribed because they're not for everybody. And they're not for everybody at any time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do really think that they should be used like a medical prescription in that sense. I personally don't do colonics. I think that they can have a negative impact on wiping out a lot of your beneficial bacteria. That being said, if you're in this place where you have really bad overgrowth of bacteria, a lot of yeast and if a difficulty eliminating, then that would be an opportunity where I would prescribe someone to do a colonic, but also not repeated colonics. It's so funny. We've come such a long way, like globally in this wellness conversation, because 
I'll never forget, I was on a plane home from somewhere listening to the Skinny Confidential featuring Melissa Wood. And she was like waxing eloquent about the effect and the positive effect. And, and then I remember I was like Googling it and I was like looking left, like looking right, like can anyone see what's on my phone? I was like so shaken. And it's just so crazy for better or worse. I mean, that's sort of what I'm like in a way referring to. For worse is that you have some random chick from Toronto listening to a podcast on an airplane who now is like taking the word of somebody and it's like, let's be more going versus the upside of that is that we're also educated and we're having conversations like this and I get to, uh, you know, speak to somebody as well versed as you are. I'm trying to find the question that my friend had. She must have left. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that question was. Um, so a lot of people want to know about the effect on birth control um, on your body. Um, I know that it's a bit of a long answer because there's so many different kinds and all of that but is, is there a way for you to answer how this kind of manifests itself yeah for sure so um birth control pill is definitely does have an impact on our hormones and gut health one it leads to a lot of key nutrient deficiencies so any prescribed medication is going to lead to some nutrient deficiencies and it's really important anything that you are taking just to go and google like that medication and then nutrient deficiencies and what i mean by that is if you're on a medication that's going to cause you to deplete zinc and B vitamins, go and take a zinc and B vitamin supplement while you're on that so that you're not in the negative, right? What happens is a lot of us are just taking these birth control pill without intentionally replenishing the deficiency, the vitamins that are being depleted. And now our body is in a state of deficiency. And now when our body goes to use those vitamins and minerals to run things in other pathways and processes, it's not there. For example, the liver. And so birth control also has a negative impact on our beneficial gut microbiome, that good bacteria that I was talking about. And it can start to slowly erode the good bacteria over time. And that if we're not, again, intentionally replenishing and focusing on, you know, nourishing our gut and keeping inflammation down can lead to things like intestinal permeability of leaky gut or overgrowth of bad bacteria. And then when people come off birth control pill, they're like, oh my God, I'm so much worse, right? They almost don't know what to hit them. And the small cramps or a small amount of acne that they went on birth control pill are like something they wish that they were dealing with after, you know, I was on birth control pill myself for 12 years. It completely destroyed my gut and my thyroid health. And I had no idea. So really important to look at nutrient deficiencies of any medications that you're on, because there are many. So if somebody did want to know how to fix hormonal acne, Yes. Um, so let me talk a little bit more about the gut and things that are negatively impacting that. And then I'll, yes, I'll explain the connection for acne there too. Because acne is multifactorial. Yes, it's liver and, and sorry, yes, it's hormone. And it's often gut at the same time. It's also topically as well. So like, what are we putting on our skin? What are we exposed to? Those types of things. It definitely does take a little bit more of... Um, digging to, to heal hormonal acne. So the other negative thing is chemical exposure screens. I mean, look, we're all walking around on our phones 24 seven late night blue light exposure is a huge one. So this is a no, no for both of us. Sedentary lifestyle for sure. Not aligning ourselves with like natural rhythms. So like not paying attention to your menstrual cycle, not letting yourself slow down when you're on your bleed, those types of things, just like pushing, grinding, hustle, whatever you want to call it eating too much or too little. So like eating disorders or overeating alcohol. EMF exposures is a big one that I've been paying a lot more attention to over the past few years. Yes. Yes. So really I important. actually, I don't know if you guys already know this, but this is a very remarkable story. Speaking of EMF exposure. So EMFs, and please cut me off if I'm explaining them inadequately, but they're basically the electromagnetic frequencies that we're getting from everything around us, from our phones to like the Wi-Fi signal to our laptop. So I think that we're all probably in overdrive, but I went to this holistic allergist last year because I was completely, I don't want to say intolerant, but like just turned off from proteins. Like I was nauseated at the thought of that. So I was filling myself up a lot of the time with like, um, car like carbs, like oats. And that was the only thing that interested me or cookies and things like that. But because of that, I was super sluggish. And I was recognizing that this is not just me like craving a cookie. This is me like literally being repulsed at the thought of chicken or salmon. So I decided that I wanted to uncover the reason why. And this is going to sound so far-fetched, but if you're a believer, you're a believer. And I'm a believer. And basically what she was saying was because I was like so in overdrive and my like grinding mode was like so beyond what it should have been, my body was sending a message to me that I was 
hypersensitive to EMFs. And because I was hypersensitive to EMFs and around them way too much, it was making me intolerant to proteins. And because I wanted to uncover the reason for my protein intolerance, I went to an expert who was able to connect the dots. Anyway, and my husband rolls his eyes, but I don't. I all. see the parallels in a different way. Like the way I would explain that through functional medicine is like you're in stress and massive amounts of stress deplete stomach acid and you need stomach acid to digest protein. So the thought of eating protein with low stomach acid, knowing that your body couldn't handle it was repulsing you from the protein. Yeah, that's, that's so accurate. She did the finger testing. Yeah. And she, when, when it came to the EMF, she's like, oh, like I'm like heavily, mm. you were in she's like, oh. <laughs> Regardless, I wear, I know you guys see me wear this all the time. This is my Shanghai bracelet, which protects you against EMS. I have one on the back of my phone, my laptops, by my desk. And I don't know whether it's psychosomatic or not. I definitely feel like at least I'm doing something for me that keeps my brain a little bit less unhinged. Yeah. If you guys are interested in learning more about EMFs, I have a whole Instagram highlight where I go around my house with my little EMF detector and I check all the things and like mind was blown. No, yeah. that's crazy. I definitely never leave your laptop on your lap while you're working because the amount of EMFs that come out onto your lap is wild. But yeah, so those are some of the other things that are impacting our gut health. Definitely EMF exposure, lack of sunshine, lack of time in nature is a big one. And, you know, just workplace chemical exposures, stress, things like that. The three most toxic professions, which I actually think this is really interesting, are in terms of exposures to some of those things we talked about, are hairstylists, obviously, the amount of chemicals that they're exposed, breathing in and touching every day, dental hygienist, just by the amount of chemicals in and air quality and, you know, vapors that they're exposed to and flight attendants, the massive EMF exposures for flight attendants and poor air quality are three uh, amongst like three, those are the top three most toxic professions, aside like, from obviously like janitors and things like that. Yeah. I for like almost like for satire, they're going to be like, well, the most toxic profession is being an influencer. <laughs> also. <laughs> I want to answer this question um, and then we're going to start kind of like putting all the pieces together and wrapping up. But she wanted to know what you think about the amazing liver and gallbladder, gallbladder flush, gallbladder flush by Andreas Moritz. I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with gallbladder flushes. There's it again, it's like this should be prescribed. This isn't something that everybody should go and Google and do a gallbladder flush for themselves because you know you might have gallstones and cause a blockage or something like that and i do like to do non at home gallbladder remedies and use more therapeutic grade um, supplements and tinctures for gallbladder flushes if i think a client has like bile acid sluggish bile acids or things like that as well those I are things that we can test on functional testing so when i do a gi mat for our clients i can actually assess what's going on with their liver and their gallbladder and you know fat absorption and things like that as well so we can know if that's even something we pay attention to or address or just leave because it's fine i love that in order to work with you one-on-one -on -one, you kind of say from the get-go it has to be a few months and i think that that's so smart because what you're doing is you're you're eliminating anybody who won't take it seriously and you're really building a relationship where you're kind of assessing the issue and fixing it. I think it's so smart. You know, sometimes we get inspired and we book an appointment with a naturopath and then we get the protocol and it's overwhelming and we don't follow up. Yeah. So I just really love that that's how you do it. I, I always like say to my clients, like I'm equally invested in you as like, it's as important that you get the results over this three to five months as it is for you to feel good, right? Oh, um, and there's certainly nothing we can solve in one appointment. I've learned that the hard way. Exactly, no, 100%. I mean. Naturopath appointments, if you're not somebody who goes to therapy, they're so therapeutic, you know, I feel like, first of all, your, your aura is so calming, and you're basically talking about all your issues, and you have somebody that can actually prescribe or direct you in a direction that will fix you from a pathological standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a holistic standpoint, I mean, sounds like euphoria to me. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, this is not a plug on your behalf, by the way, this is just oh, how thank I you. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the effect on our gut health, on our, on our moods. I mean, like, I know that, you know, there's, um, your serotonin is stored in your gut. Let's like define that a little bit more and, and how that manifests our, our, us emotionally when our gut is not optimized. Yeah. Such a great question. So key neurotransmitters are made there. You did mention serotonin, which just to remind us all is like the 
happiness, feel good, joy, neurotransmitter. And we all need more serotonin, but 90% of it is actually made inside of your gut microbiome. So if you think like, oh, I, I'm not really able to access a lot of joy and I'm not really feeling as elated or you know happy as I usually do, like you can right away look to your gut health and how do we optimize that so we can get more of the good stuff. Dopamine is also made in your gut and that is more, it's another neurotransmitter, 50 to 60% of it is made in your gut. And again, these are chemical messengers, right? That tell your body to do this thing or react in this way and is linked to uh, motivation. So if you're feeling really unmotivated, if you're feeling really like, I'd like to do that thing, but I don't want to do that thing, or kind of that, that feeling of like depressed, right? Like unmotivated, not moving, not able to get up, not able to rise up. We're thinking about, again, serotonin and dopamine and so many key neurotransmitters are made in your gut. So I'm always looking um, at gut health in terms of that. On the Dutch hormone test, I can check um, dopamine levels and norepinephrine, epinephrine, which are two other neurotransmitters more related to stress and melatonin. You know, melatonin gets a lot of hype. Everybody's like, take melatonin for better sleep. And yes, that is a great idea if you can't sleep for some people. But my question, and again, asking the why, why are you not making adequate amounts of melatonin? Melatonin is also made in your gut. Some of it's made in your gut and some it's made in your liver as well. And so when it comes to melatonin production, why aren't you sleepy? Well, we got to look at the gut health, right? So your mood is directly related to what's going on with your gut and your gut and your brain are intimately connected. Again, remember that spider web, right? We tug at one, but there's also this direct chemical message pathway back and forth, right? If we're making key neurotransmitters there, it's sending it up to our brain. If your gut is in stress, distress, if you've got, you know, a lot of bacterial overgrowth, candida, yeast overgrowth, you bet that your brain is getting that constant message of overwhelm and that's showing up for you day to day as anxiety or depression because your brain doesn't know how to describe yeast and SIBO and other things like that. But it's just this constant overwhelm. And I always say to my clients, well, got on fire, brain on fire. What did you expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really have to start thinking about mental health from this perspective of gut health. And, you know, we see that especially in terms of economic lines, right? Like the rise in mental health for people who can't access a lot of these foods or maybe living in yes. poverty, there's a direct relationship there. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate for um, gut and mental health being assessed mm-hmm. together. And even things like having a concussion. I got a lot of females who are like athletes or, you know, they, they're in the gym, they were soccer players in university, that kind of stuff who've had concussions. I mean, it doesn't take an athlete to have a concussion. We can fall down skiing. And they've had concussions and concussions actually change the neurochemistry in your brain and changes the way your gut motility works. So it will slow down oftentimes your gut. And so all of a sudden you'll have a sluggish gut where now you're more constipated than you were before your concussion. And that can also impact your microbiome as well. So um, just again, showing you the connection between brain and gut. So I have like, I would say one to three more questions. And at, at that point, I want to wrap up in almost my own words to see that if I feel like I can have, have absorbed all of this information, then I'm hoping that my community will as well. What would you suggest for somebody, you know, I, I kind of like described a listener who is interested and intrigued, but isn't is intimidated to kind of dive in or maybe doesn't have the finances right now to work with somebody fully. Where do we start? So you, you said that, you know, in order to optimize our hormones, there were four really almost easy ways. And then what? Um, is there, you know, a universal probiotic that you recommend to people or, or I guess take it away. That's the question. Yeah. So, I mean, from the free, like, you know, basic, we talked about the foundation, right? So movement, nourishing your body intentionally, getting good quality sleep and hydrating yourself with good quality water and maybe some minerals in there or electrolytes as well, depending on how much you're sweating a week. So that would be the foundation and sunshine, right? Nature, time outside, like free medicine is really where it's at when it comes to the foundation of hormone health. From there, you know, working with maybe a naturopath or another practitioner, I do recommend almost like interviewing people, right? So instead of just like, what's your approach? You know, do you use testing? Like really kind of seeing how is this like $200 I'm going to spend on the appointment? What am I going to walk away with that isn't something that I already 
got from this Instagram live that isn't something that I already know or isn't just a pile of supplements because when those supplements are done, where, where does that leave you? I have a online course called Mend Your Menstrual Cycle and it deep dives into how to optimize all of your different menstrual hormones, the key hormones that you talked about with Miranda, as well as some of the ones we talked about today, uh, how to optimize liver health, how to optimize sleep, stress regulation. And, and it's got like 15 different video modules where it's me sitting there talking, explaining things to you, uh, lots of worksheets and it's a nice do at your own pace, which I think is great for people who are busy or not really able to commit fully financially and energetically. So that's a $197 course and it does have supplement recommendations and it has access to my online dispensary as well. And then from there, if people want to work with me in a little bit bigger capacity, you have access to a reduced rate for working with me for via functional testing. And so that would be a great place to start. That's where a lot of my clients start kind of like warming up and moving through things. And then sometimes they don't need any extra help because they've solved all their problems through that course as well. It does have supplement protocols for thyroid conditions, you know, all of the common hormone imbalances and a couple quizzes in there to help you kind of diagnose in terms of my functional strategies and figuring out what your imbalance is. Question, if somebody is not in the menstrual phase, if they're pregnant or if they're menopausal or if they're taking some kind of birth control that makes them not get their period, is the course still applicable to them? Yeah, great question. So if you're pregnant, course is not applicable to you, you're definitely going to want to hold off on addressing any imbalances until you're not pregnant. And that's kind of like the golden rule. Or you're going to want to work with a practitioner one-on-one just because pregnancy is a delicate time. Um, but it does have support for anybody who's beyond menstruating. So if you're perimenopause or menopause, and I have two modules in there, full modules on birth control pill, how to address um, nutrient depletion on the pill, and then also strategies on how to get off the pill if that's something you want to transition to with some good alternatives as well. Amazing. So we're going to start wrapping up, but I know that everybody's always curious about how, how you, how you're living your life. So like, what is, you know, I know that we're all kind of over the day in your life and what I've eaten in a day videos, but for the sake of inspiration, what kind of foods are you eating? How often are you working out? What kind of workouts do you like? And I think that it will really, now that we've kind of gotten to know you, help us kind of understand a little more. Yeah, I love that. I've never done a day in the life video. So I'm like the worst influencer in the world. I don't consider myself an influencer. Um, and definitely, You're my not influencer. That, definitely not that fun. But for the most part, I have a pretty standard, uh, like daily routine. I do work in I have a clinic that I leave the house and go to. So that helps me stay really accountable to my routines every day. So I see clients from 10 to six daily. On Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I have an accountability buddy that I work out with. So we get up at 8am, we get on a zoom call together. And this has been since the pandemic. And it's worked really well, because we kind of like, encourage each other to show up to our home gyms and you know, move. And we're for the most part synced on our menstrual cycle. So that really helps too, because we, you know, want to do lower impact workouts at the same time. And do some hit workouts i do we have our favorite like online trainers and so we'll do like sweat with kelsey app is one of them and a few other toronto trainers that we kind of subscribe to and then we'll just pick different videos depending on how we want to show up so i typically work out for 45 minutes three times a week i have two dogs so i have the opportunity to like stretch my legs and walk those um dogs daily which is great keeps me really active and then i'm back and forth to the post office because i have a product line as well so that keeps me active for the most part. I am behind a screen like eight hours a day on Zoom calls with clients. So over the pandemic, I've definitely become a little more sedentary than I'd love to be. In the morning, I usually eat coconut kefir with some berries or, and usually I'll do like a hard boiled egg or two at the same time. Sometimes I'll do some toast, hard boiled egg or avocado toast. Nothing really exciting. For lunch, I try to support local. So we have like this nutritionist owned cafe in King City where they have like really great plant-based soups. And sometimes I'll get like a grilled cheese sandwich with the soup or I'll bring some leftovers because again, I'm very simple. And leftovers and just trying to prioritize protein and as much fruits and veggies as I can between those meals. And then dinner, I'm really lucky my partner likes to cook and his mom is very old school Italian, trained him well. And so we kind of like switch it up. We'll swap nights or, you know, there's no real order, but we're both in the kitchen cooking. and. For the most part, it's like chicken or salmon and a bunch of veggies and a salad every night. And that's about it. 
That sounds great and yummy and it's super basic. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I try to get in the four, I probably aim for like, I probably consistently get the four cups of fruits and veggies a day. Uh, that's definitely something I prioritize. And I don't do a lot of snacking because I feel like I eat more now than I used to when I was back in nutrition school. When it comes to meals, like meal sizes, I definitely make sure to get um, 85 grams to 100 grams of protein a day. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So to kind of wrap up, what we talked about today is we discussed the way that you can kind of, the way that your hormone imbalances would manifest themselves in your life. Um, and we didn't really specify, you know, if you're feeling this, it might be that because it's also symbiotic. So guys, listen up to the beginning of the episode where we kind of list them all down there. And then we discussed four pillars of ways that you can kind of self heal at home, which is hydration, sleep, movement, and getting four to six cups of fruits and veggies a day, try to switch them up, eat the rainbow. Each color and each vegetable will give you a different nutrient profile, which works in tandem with the next pillar of what we talked about was keeping your gut and liver as healthy as they can be. I know we're all focused on healing things like our skin, and our moods, but really, before we can even begin talking about things like that, we have to understand exactly what's going on inside. And working with, you know, somebody like Ashley, who can guide you in functional testing, where instead of just shooting arrows in the dark, you actually have, you know, answers and where she'll tell you like what you're deficient in or what is going on that's too high or too low is probably, in my opinion, if this is calling to you, the best way to go and responsible way to heal yourself. Yeah. And the fastest, like we get really good. I get really good results in clinic very quickly for clients who have been struggling with these ailments for a long time, because now all of a sudden you have a strategy and you have a clear plan of action, which is, makes me feel really good because my clients don't have to waste their time and money anymore. So true. Well, thank you so much for being on Kayla and my tea. Pleasure. It's thank an you honor. Me. Yes. Are you kidding? First of all, guys, I don't know if you already follow Ashley. Her account is The Soulful Sprout, if you're listening to this later. And part of what I love about your account are the graphics and the way that you take really complicated topics. And you, I don't even want to say dilute, but you basically create graphics in a way where it's easy to absorb. I have so many of your posts saved that I reference. Yes, it's really been helpful. Um, and for anybody who's been loving hormone health, month next week we'll be having on kate taylor martin from nut bar do you enjoy nut bar i love kate she's yes. such an angel she's the best so she will be educating us on healthy swaps for your pantry for your fridge to kind of bring us home into the food element and then after i'll be having on get glow method she focuses on a holistic way to heal your hormonal acne and your skin from the inside out not blocking anything and putting band-aids on with any medication and you know all of these other things so i'm really really excited to be able to learn from like experts like you guys from the health element but then from the practical element so thank you so much amazing thank you so much for putting this together this is so generous and um, i'm glad i could be part of it thank you so much and um i guess we gotta get to bed <laughs> yeah such a pleasure have a good night and that's all for today you guys thanks for tuning in Listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love if you subscribed. And if you're really next level vibing, leave me a positive review so we can keep the circle of positivity going. Of course, you can find our guest's information in the show notes and find more of me on my Instagram and website at Rifki Rabinowitz and RifkiRabinowitz.com. Have a good one, okay? Stay cool.